to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. You there, Paul? I'm here. How are you, buddy? Good, mate. How's your week been? My week has been surprisingly not as crazy as I thought. Uh, with a couple of conference weeks coming up, uh, I thought it would be nut, nuttier, but not too bad. How about yourself? Yeah, good. I mean, obviously a lot quiet in the last few weeks of build. Um, I am looking forward to the SharePoint conference next week. Um, I guess nostalgically, it's where I started, well, pretty much started my career back in 03 with SharePoint. And um, it's nice that we still have a big kind of semi-official conference for SharePoint <laughs> uh, where, you know, you go there and all you see is SharePoint people. And um, so it'd be nice to catch up with everyone. And I've got a session on the graph that is kind of going to summarize a lot of what was announced at Build, but more with a SharePoint lens on it. And I actually got to dry run that last night at the uh, user group here in Redmond, uh, the SharePoint user group. So yeah, it's been a been a good week. That's terrific. And the the show in Vegas will mark one year since the reboot and you uh, settling on me to be a co-host. Yeah, and that's right. I'm happy to announce that we have planned absolutely nothing for the event. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll have a beer or something in Vegas. Uh, yes, absolutely. But uh, I, yeah, I did. Um, I was Jason Himmelstein and John White um, reached out for um their hundredth show for little audio bites. And um, I was, my audio bite basically in summary was, I'm surprised they've lasted a hundred episodes without killing each other. And I, I was thinking that maybe we've actually done pretty well too. Yeah, I think so. Although um, there's been I, no I, tantrums. That's right. That's right. Just the, the occasional Paul's excitement level sounding pretty terrible, but the, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's funny. My skip, so Yina's boss came in, uh, Steve Chang, um, came into work yesterday. He's like, hey, I was just listening to your podcast from this week. And he had this kind of like semi-effing with me face on. And I was like, um, I <laughs> thought I would kept on message really well. And he goes, no, you did a really good job of like explaining the search connectors in Microsoft Graph without going off message and not promising things that we shouldn't be promising. But he goes, the entire drive in the car, I was on tenterhooks waiting for you to put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well done. That, that, yeah. That, so, he, did he not remember you had a stint in marketing? So you, well, that's right. I had, my, I had my PR training. I know what I can and can't say on air. Yeah, exactly. But, um, exactly. I'm just, I'm just the, glad that I managed to keep him nervous for an entire car journey. <laughs> Well, maybe not such a, gr a great career move, but certainly fun to do, right? Yeah, that's right. So private yeah. preview in the summer of the connectors. And actually, at the user group last night, we got a lot of interest off non-devs. Um, and it's the first kind of presenting it with getting feedback and interaction from a crowd, whereas obviously you don't get that in a keynote. It kind of blank looks and people EP because they've been listening to keynotes for four hours. But um yeah, it was interesting to see end users react, even to minor things like pushing the Windows key and showing Microsoft Search in Windows in the latest fast ring I'm on. People are like, wow, that'd be so useful to have. And so well, I'm really excited kidding. to get that. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. So the uh, we still have some uh, more Microsoft news dribbling out. Uh, yeah, I think some people uh, have been so. pretty candid about waiting till post-build to blog stuff. Uh, yeah. So um, the, the, I guess we should probably start with the big announcement from your org about some artwork. You know, that seems to be all the rage, right? <laughs> so we knew that the giraffe thing was going to be popular. And, you know, we knew there was some punning in there that would be like, oh, that's really clever. The giraffe. Ha ha ha. Giraffe. Um, again, actually, I'm, Steve is always complaining. I don't mention enough of the show. So he's getting a double whammy this week. Um, Steve wasn't so sure. He was like, really? We really want to ship this. It kind of looks weird. And do you really think people are going to put this on their laptops? And then I think after an hour of me tweeting the first sticker and seeing that it got, I think, 20,000 impressions within a few hours and, you know, like 150 <laughs> retweets, he was like, 
okay, all right, this this seems like a valid thing. And then he saw everyone running around trying to find the stickers at build on the booth. So um, it, it was nice for him to kind of be like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is this is working. The, the biggest problem has been is is that there's been some PMs out there that have set a really bad example. Well, good example, but set the bar way too high. Um, Omar Shahine in OneDrive printed the new OneDrive logos as stickers, and by request was mailing stickers individually to people. <laughs> and I was just like, "That's just not going to happen." So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So, um, the if you go to GitHub.com/slash/MicrosoftGraph/slash/G-Wrath, um, you can get the giraffe sticker in a Illustrator file, an EPS, a PDF, a PNG, an SVG file, um, and take that to your nearest sticker place. We we actually use Sticker Mule, I think, which was a two day turnaround. Um, so if you've got a community user group coming, um, you can do that. But I just found out as well that there was another internal person in Microsoft uh, that actually messaged me this morning saying that. He had a GitHub repo where he was keeping all the hexagon stickers in one place. Uh, Rene Hazer is going to be my guess, but there's like accents on the E, so I'm probably doing that really badly. But um, he's got one on his GitHub repo, and it includes like the raccoon stickers, and there's a monkey sticker, and there's a there's all sorts of stickers that you can just go and grab the SVGs for, including the unicorn with the cat on it um, and the team's logo and all, all those things. So if you are interested in that, there's a sloth too. I didn't even know we had a sloth. Um, so if you're interested in stickers <laughs> and you've got a community event coming, um, go grab those SVGs and you can go crazy on Sticker Mule or whatever ever company that does stickers these days. Uh- yeah, I don't have a need for stickers, so I'll pass. I, know, I would love a plush toy, though. I, uh, for those of you who are following me on Twitter, I asked Jeremy to print a plush toy with the giraffe so I could give it to my grandson and, you know, get some mileage out of it. But, but I did say I did that, that you were going to take me in that. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> if your grandson writes code against the graph in the next 15 years, then sure, you can have oh, a... Oh, that's easy. Oh, certainly. <laughs> 15 years, I'll be retired on a beach somewhere. Well, you can't come find me to enforce that. So the answer is yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. The giraffe will happen. And talking of giraffes, uh, Nikola Mutilev, that um, is kind of the, the founder internally within what we call our PAX org, um, he was also the one that worked on the UWP toolkit, but the, the Microsoft Graph toolkit, which we announced in Rajesh's keynote and showcased in Yina and Mark's session, which is the OV session at Build. Um, he uh, actually wore a giraffe suit for the whole of Build conference and bought two extra ones too. And I thought he was joking because I was like, no, I really don't want to have to wear a giraffe suit. And then Daryl being Daryl was like, sure, I'll wear it. And then Darren Spector, who is um, in OneDrive engineering and kind of, the, in my opinion, one of the, my favorite engineers to work with at Microsoft. Um, he was game and wore the giraffe suit too. So I think there is now a craze. And if you haven't heard about the dev insider tour that the PAX team are hosting, um, they have wore outfits and costumes in the past. And uh, based on the Twitter run of last night, it sounds like a lot of them will be wearing giraffe suits during the event. So um, it's happening. And um Turns out those suits are about 20 bucks on Amazon. So there's no real excuse not to get one. <laughs> well, I love the enthusiasm around the graph, though. That's certainly yeah, great stuff. I mean, silly things like that that can make a really cool kind of community bond and, uh, you know, just bring awareness to it in different ways without being so formal and official. But, um, yeah, if you haven't yeah. tried out the toolkit yet, I actually um, demoed it at the user group last night. And the coolest part that about it was is that have already done SPFX development, you can essentially add the toolkit code in there and the toolkit will realize that it's in the, the SharePoint SPFX web part and just reuse the graph, graph client that is already in the web part and, and work just the same. So if you want to put like a calendar control or a task uh, control into your web part for whatever reason, um, you, you can do that with literally one line of code. Um, and 
you know, they're in preview right now, but they're going to GA really fast and there's going to be a bunch more coming. Um, and so, yeah, if you haven't tried it out, go try it out. It's very cool. Um, and again, it's not just for React. It's a web component, so it'll work across things like the app that I demo on the stage and the keynote was a view app, but it will work in Angular or standard HTML, like whatever frameworks you want to use. So um, please go check that out. And it's open source. And so we are looking for contributions. And next week at SBC is my week of kind of getting some more MVPs on board to write some of the other components we want to build that are in, are in our bounty. Um. Nicola showed these. I think it was Nicola who showed these at the MVP summit, which was uh, my first look at these. And and there was some hallway conversations I was part of. And and it's kind of a how do you find the balance between what what is a, a high level component that could fit into this toolkit versus just a you know something that's one off or something that should be lower level, like inside of Office Fabric, et cetera. So there's there certainly is a lot of potential there, but I would caution folks that you know let's not just race too fast and recreate things there's there's a little bit more to it right with the whole provider model that talks about and some some of the information that the happens it's not just the ui right so yeah i mean and it's leveraging uh, yeah. mcell it's re- leveraging the microsoft graph sdk javascript sdks and it's also leveraging office ui fabric so it really is building on top of those things and building functional components that make sense that you couldn't just do with fabric on its own. Like we don't want to like reinvent the wheel there. So um, we do have a, a bounty list of components that, you know, we intend to get to. And if, if people are like looking for a new open source project to contribute to and um, want to like click, kick the tires in the web con- component space, this is a great place to kind of get stuck in. This uh, bounty list, as you called it, is not, Immediately obvious when I'm on the GitHub uh, repo, by I the just, way. So a little feedback. I literally there. messaged Nicola and was like, we need to make sure that we promote yeah. that bounty list That'd a bit be better. Great. Yeah. And I'm hope. Uh, are you, do you know what version of MSAL is this repo using? Um, it, it, the latest it and greatest, I'm using the GA version of MSAL JS yes. that we announced. At so just reinforce well. that message, folks. It's ready to rock and roll. I was kicking the tires on that uh, this week as well. Um, and a uh, lot, lot simpler. There, there's still some rough edges to interact with, uh, uh, with my legacy code, but it certainly is much better. So great job to the Azure AD team and on that. And if you haven't watched... Um, Daryl's Channel 9 live video that interview that I did with him, which we linked to in the last week's show notes. Um, he built from scratch file new using Graph Explorer and navigating to the docs and grabbing code snippets, calling the graph in like literally four minutes. And I actually did the same demo yesterday and it was incredible to see devs in the room realize, okay, all right, this is awesome now. Like there's the kind of all the problems we used to have at hackathons five, you know, what, 2015, nearly five years ago where, you know, the off story was a mess and there was lots of code and lots of configuration and the app registration was really confusing. Um, we've really cleaned that up a lot. And, uh, you know, it's great to be able to do that demo and not have to rely on, like, downloading a quick start where it makes that all invisible for you and be able to drive starting a, a graph call directly from copying a few lines of code in, in our docs. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Because um, the new auth providers that wrap all the MSL libraries are super cool. Um, by the way, you'll have to update that video soon because the interactive provider doesn't work because the MSL library changed a property name. And rather than just making it a compile error, they they wrapped it in a migration class, which throws a not implemented exception at runtime. So nothing that you guys have done wrong, but a little peculiarity I ran into trying to replicate that myself that's on the interactive provider not the i think daryl did the device we, code we did, provider that yeah I saw we did the good, but, device code one but yeah curses uh, yeah, to that yeah. team again for changing so, things but uh, yeah we feel the pain as much uh, as you yeah, feel the pain paul if it makes you feel uh, any better 
I do, and there's already a, a, an item in the uh, in the Graph SDK repo on that. This is on the .NET Core stuff, so the, yeah, no, the team's right on top of it, moving to get that fixed, and so uh, great stuff there. And you know, and speaking of of Auth and Azure AD, I found a very interesting blog post that came out last week that you can sign into Azure DevOps using your GitHub credentials. Yeah, I did see that. yeah. and I, uh, my initial take on this is, oh no, please no, 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 no. <laughs> but um, as, as if MSAs and work and school accounts isn't enough, we now have uh, something else to muddy the waters. But I, I get it if you are in the GitHub ecosystem and not necessarily yeah. in the Microsoft ecosystem, you coming at it from an OAuth provider is an OAuth provider was an OAuth provider. So or, I'm sorry, an OpenID Connect provider is... So um, if this is if it's you that you have, um, you you know, you're coming new to uh, to the Microsoft space or, you know, someone who is they can bring their GitHub credentials to log into this blog post talks about Azure DevOps. But it does say that you can access all Microsoft online services yeah. as part of this as well. Yeah. Excel so, online, uh, which makes Xbox. sense. Like I can see it. Like if I'm a, if yeah. I'm a GitHub dev that isn't in the Microsoft world and I'm. You know, I want to use Azure resources. I think this is a really nice power kind of play to not force you have to sign up to Microsoft account to do things. Um, so I, I do like this scenario, and I'm I'm imagining I haven't checked this, but if you do sign up your GitHub account, I'm assuming there's some nice automatic integrations it has to you know consent accessing the repos in GitHub from the pipelines or something like that. So, yeah, I would hope so. And I would bet under the covers, it's a flavor of Azure B2C or, or B2B working behind the scenes. Not that we may see it, but so it's, it's, it is a, a testament to, again, to the Azure AD team finally getting, hitting their groove, I would say, right? Yeah. So now that, uh, um, they can integrate with all these providers and, and it's not a stretch at this point to use other providers to log into things as well. So if necessary, so I would have expected the GitHub to say, or, or what's coming soon is that I have a worker school account. Let me log into GitHub with that. So that might be coming in next. So would be my guess, but that's Paul just theorizing. And out loud, I did so. notice on the keynote stage, Rajesh, uh, Rajesh's keynote, Ashima, who is the engineer that, that she owns, all of the MCEL identity libraries and DevX experiences. Um, she announced and was very excited now. It's like passwordless stories with Windows Hello and um, Fido two keys and so forth. But what was funny was is then the week later, Alex Simons, who's the CVP for that org, was celebrating the fact that Azure AD now supports greater than 16 character passwords. Um, and now you can do 256 character passwords. So it's kind of interesting that they they do that, and yet at the same time, that you know they're trying to push passwordless as well. But I'm guess there's a massive reason, and organisations have asked for the ability to have passwords more than 16 characters. I'm guessing more for service accounts than other things. Yeah, I would think so, right? If we're trying to get users to not forget passwords and not write them down and use passwordless, why do I need a super yeah, long one? Right. <laughs> It does seem counterintuitive, but good to know. And then following up with GitHub, there's another announcement from GitHub introducing the GitHub package registry, which will support NPM and NuGet and Ruby gems and Maven packages and Docker images with more to come. So I would imagine that this is, again, targeting folks who live in GitHub all the time and want to use that I get a companion service, if you will, to the Azure DevOps artifacts. So uh, there's uh, some value there. Uh, I have not played with this. Uh, I would imagine the if it's like the Azure DevOps artifacts, it lets me control the packages. So, uh, you know, I can ensure that I'm not getting a new version. that's going to break my code or or something that's been, you know, hacked or changed or removed and breaks my code. So if you again, if you're in the GitHub stack and you want to have some control over the package registry, there's uh, an option here to sign up for this. It's currently in limited beta, but you can fill out a web form and uh, kick the tires on this. Yeah, it was interesting. There was some threads on Twitter around this where people were up in arms for GitHub, um, you know, pulling a Microsoft and trying to take over certain areas of the internet. But um, Nat Friedman, who's the CEO of GitHub still, 
um, kind of commented that this is not designed as a replacement for NPM or anything like that. It's really more to make package management easier within repos that you're working on within your own teams. Um, and so if, if you are interested in this, I'd highly recommend checking out his, the conversation that was happening on Twitter where he was clarifying like what the direction of this is. And there was some immediate kind of feedback as well. And um, Nat also mentioned, hey, look, this is why we're in beta because we want to get the feedback and get it out. We can see what the balance is here. Um, and so that was it was great to see him engage like with the community like that, which he's always done. Um, I'm excited to see where that goes. And, um, you know, honestly, we have our own mechanisms internally to do this stuff. But um, I can imagine like big dev teams would really benefit from something like this um, uh, in their own internal teamwork for sure. Yeah. I, how can you not? It, well, for number one, uh, people who are complaining maybe are in a competing service that might need to up their game and competition yeah. benefits all of us. Well, all of us, us devs. And, and certainly if I'm in an organization, I, I would love to have some control over this. Uh, and I know that people are getting packages using the GitHub account that I've, I, I am aware of, or so, so what's not to love there. So I think that might just be some fear of people trying to, to wonder what's going on here or, or anti-Microsoft bias from the non-Microsoft community who's saying, well, they're going to take embrace and extend. But I think this is a good thing. It uh, certainly makes it confusing in some scenarios, but I think once you start working day to day, you know, you just do what you do, what works and off you go. So looking good. And then um, on a completely other tangent, um, uh, Yohai Kiarty, who I used to work with actually when I was in marketing, owning Azure functions and the Azure bot service, uh, top guy, uh, he is in charge of the bot framework and Azure bot service um, inside of Azure reporting to Lily Cheng, who is an amazing woman uh, in the tech space here as a distinguished engineer and um, just awesome to speak to whenever you get the opportunity. And um, Yohai has blogged about the things that they announced that build um, as a post-build blog, which is kind of smart because it's going to get a bit more traction than it will do. Uh, the week of um, and we've talked about this in the past on the show and maybe we should probably do a full show on this at some point between the two of us but um, they've done some really cool things and I'll just call out one which is that that virtual assistant uh, has a Visual Studio template which I actually demoed in the bot session I did with Nick Kramer around Teams and in one of the keynotes they had this video and you know it showed like you know I changed the meeting with Paul tomorrow uh, to three o'clock and that bot skill actually infers the intent of what you just asked it to do and then uses the Microsoft Graph to go update that calendar event. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, that must be all make-believe. But um, no, no, it's there and it works. It's magic. And um, yeah, it was pretty incredible. And just digging into the code is pretty clever how it does it. And so if you are doing anything with bots, I'd highly recommend looking at that virtual system. They call it the Solution Accelerator because it is a an enterprise template that you install into Visual Studio 2019. Um, I will give fair warning though. Um, I left it on for a week because it has to deploy a bunch of things to Azure. And um, it was $60 for just sitting there stationary for a week. Uh, primarily because it used Azure Search for the, I think it, the Azure Search is used as part of the Q&A maker component of this solution accelerator, which I didn't even use. Um, and so I got billed and it kind of ate my MSDN credits and unfortunately took down my production historian service that I have in the iPhone store. So um, I've had to uh, come up with a new strategy for having a playground of playing around with stuff versus my real production subscription, which I've never really experienced before because I've never got anywhere near close to burning through my $150. Yeah, it's easy to do, right? You click the wrong button and off it goes, right? Well, apparently yeah. it is. I'd never, I mean, all my time on Azure, I'd never experienced it. And I kind of use it a lot. But um, yeah, you pick a hungry service and apparently it'll chomp straight through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and looking through the, the one of the, clicking off from Mohai's uh, blog post into one of the, the GitHub repos talking about the skills, this is really interesting stuff that I, I again, you know, this is kind of like the the toolkit that we talked about where it's a high level component where you're assembling different pieces to provide something a little bit more than just, you know, a, a 
a, a widget, if you will. We're doing this calendar skill where it's a combination of understanding my intent and updating the calendar. A lot of potential there. And so it's nice to see they have a list of a dozen different things, including it about the architecture. So you can learn what's going on in the back end. So that's really exciting stuff. And it'd be great to see how all this works out. And it's interesting they're using the name skills, which is what we're seeing in some of the other virtual assistants from uh, yeah. non-Microsoft companies, right? So Yeah. And they have like a to-do skill, an email skill, a calendar skill. And I'm actually working with um, Elaine and Darren and Lauren, who helped me the week of Bill, because this stuff shipped like on the... <laughs> a Tuesday morning of build and I wanted to make sure I had it in my session for Wednesday and um, you know Lauren sat with me and went through it all and um, I mean one it was awesome to see like a dev engineer just hacking at the keyboard for you know three hours straight with me building some demos and just blown away by her skill but just to see what it could do and how extendable it is by just bolting in new skills and it just kind of expanding what the abilities of your bot is it's a very clever architecture they've come up with so yeah if you're doing anything with bots this is a great one to go look at to see how the bot framework can be used in a you know in a virtual assistant type approach and it sounds like a great show for us to do so we can try to get I the them on there to get darren on yeah we spoke to about it yeah yesterday so um i i want a bunch of threads with them at the moment to see if we can light up other skills that are tied to the graph um, as well. So yeah, it's going to be exciting next few months. I think with all this stuff, uh, always exciting. It will always be exciting. Never boring. That's for sure. That's for sure. So th this week I had a chance to catch up with a long time SharePoint pal of ours, Tobias Zimmergren. Uh, the, the, uh, Tobias, the best, uh, the best dressed developer in SharePoint for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so so Tobias, you know, he admitted, you know, as he's had a family now, he's cut the back on travel. So you know, we haven't really yeah. seen him out and about much recently. But uh, uh, on we've chatted on Teams, and he looks as fabulous as ever, and <laughs> and it was great. And um, Tobias did a blog post about using the Azure App Configuration Store, and I mentioned this in a, a couple episodes uh, yeah. ago, and he actually dug into it and was using it with containers and, and different applications and the, like a multi-tenant app that you talk about. So it was really uh, in-depth, if you will. He's gone into a lot of things about there and, and we talked back and forth about how to, uh, what it could be used and when not to use it. And of course, a man after my own heart, right in his blog post, it says, you're not putting secrets in this thing. You're putting secrets where secrets belong. So it's great advice to developers. And it's, I'm really excited about this uh, configuration service and its potential yeah that's awesome i'm glad you got him on and um, is he coming to SBC? It seems like he's he not. is. He's not. No, yeah. no, and he's not. He's. Uh, you know, I'll be in Frankfurt at the European Collab Summit, and he will not be there either. So, uh, no, no yeah, idea. It's him. So, yeah, it's good, good for him though. I mean, I really miss Scarlett when I go away, and I was just talking to with Julie, my wife, yesterday, and I'm only doing two events this year, and uh, so you know, you have to pick your pick the ones that are going to have the most impact in, and one is SBC and. One's going to be ESPC, the European SharePoint Conference in December in Prague. Um, and that's just what happens when you have little babies and they keep us busy. And, you know, you get, need to give mum a break so that she's not looking after a five-day solid. Yeah, I, I repeatedly mentioned I'm glad that the, this whole conference thing didn't happen for me until my kids were older. But yeah, now I have to yeah. go. I'll be going three weeks without seeing the grandchild. So that'll be a little bit tough. Thank goodness for FaceTime. So. Yeah, we'll make, no joke. FaceTime and Skype. Yeah. Although a uh, funny way to end the podcast or the intro to the podcast anyway was last night I was on a call with some of the engineers I work with in Bangalore and my daughter Scarlett, um, we, we spend a lot of time Skyping my family in Australia um, at the weekends and I happened to be on the couch because it was like a 10 p.m. call and uh, she came running over and she thought I was talking to <laughs> grand grandma and started like saying hello to the uh, the engineers in Bangalore and then had quite the shock when it wasn't grandma on the screen and it was um, Shiva Prakash and Bharat who were uh, who I'm working with on some things in Power BI. So um, yeah. they, they thought it was hilarious and then were kind of sad because she looked so disappointed when she realized it wasn't grandma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Um, the joys of tech. 
Yeah, that's it's amazing how kids pick up on that, right? So, but that's great. Yeah, that's great. So, anyways, it was great to see that, and then uh, we'll be in person next week. It'd be great to catch up. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward but, to it. We'll have to have a yeah. few celebratory beers for lasting a year on the podcast. Uh, well, one of us will have beers, one of us will have margaritas, but it sounds like a blast. I see you around, buddy. Bye. So today I'm with Tobias Zimmergren. Hey, Tobias, how are you? Hey man, I'm I'm doing good. Thank you for for having me on the podcast, man. Well, so this is a, another one of these interviews that I love. It's a great chance to catch up with uh, an old pal from back in the day. So uh, why don't you tell the folks who haven't been around as long as me who you are and what you do? <laughs> yeah. So my name is Tobias. And I work at Rancor as a product manager, and I do a lot of cloud stuff. Work a lot with Azure. Um, and my, my job there is to ensure that we have the infrastructure required to uh, run the analysis that we can for our customers for ensuring that customizations are actually okay and that you don't have to worry about any risks that come up around that. So that's the short story. Uh, background is I'm a, a SharePoint MVP, have been since 2008. So that's almost 11 years in going. Um, and, and I guess that's when we met it's sometime around 2008 or something yeah. like this for the first time at some kind of conference. Um, yeah. And then, then we met a couple of times over the years and, you know, we had a, a lot of fun, but you know, then came family and a house and a baby and all this, and my traveling <laughs> kind of stopped. So now I work from home and, and, you know, have a good time in a different sense in, in life. Yes, exactly. That, well, that's, that's, that's good to see there. A lot of the, uh, longtime pals, uh, similar story, right? You get a baby and you don't move as much, but I, I got a grandbaby <laughs> now, so I, I can still up and go. In fact, I'll be on your side of oh, the Atlantic congrats. in a couple of weeks. So, uh, but anyway, so I wanted to chat you both. You posted a blog post about the Azure app configuration service mm -hmm. and uh, Jer Jeremy yeah. and I chatted about this uh, a while back and I said, oh, this looks awesome. I want to kick the tires and I haven't had time, but clearly you did. So I wanted to get on and talk yep. about <laughs> this. And so let's, I guess, start with the 101. What is the Azure app config service in your words? So... Um Azure App Config Service is something that Microsoft is pushing out, which is currently in a preview. Um, you know, in, in my own words, if I would take that from the top of my head, I would say that this helps you consolidate configurations from different apps, websites, functions, whatever you have, and uh, that makes up your solutions. Um, and in my case, I have a, a few distributed apps, uh, got a couple of containers running, I've got some functions, I've got websites and different things. And a lot of the time I use the same type of uh, application configuration for these things. Uh, it could be endpoints to uh, data storage, or it could be you know, common variables that I, I reuse across all these applications. And if I have five ACIs, one AKS cluster, two functions, and whatever have you, it could be a bit tricky to ensure that you have a consistency across all of them, uh, especially if they need to use the same kind of configuration values. So. Uh, in the past, I kind of worked around it by using the key vault because I could pull, even if it wasn't like a secret value, I could still pull it from there. Uh, but with the Azure app configuration, what you get is like a central place to manage all the, the configurations for your applications that you need. And it works with function apps, websites, .NET Core natively, um, ASP.NET Core websites natively as well. So whatever kind of workload you have, you can just pull that in and use these services. And there's already SDKs um, provided as NuGets from Microsoft for that. So uh, from the developer point of view, you're good to go. There's already C Sharp NuGet libraries if that's your thing to do. I do a lot of .NET Core, so that's usually what I turn to. And you know, there are some pretty good guides and, and documents coming out of Microsoft on that. Um, so if you already have a lot of configuration stuff, you want to consolidate that, uh, I'd look into Azure App Configuration. And there's a couple of benefits around that. Um, because at, at this point, you usually get the question, why would I even introduce a new service just to, you know, I, I've got a couple of services and whatever. Why would I introduce an entirely new service? Yeah. So but before um, you answer that or before you make that comment, so, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind is that the release management would let me set variables mm -hmm. that I can then push down as part of my release pipeline, which seems to be a little bit of an overlap. But mm -hmm. um, do you see these working, one replacing the other, or are they working alongside? Or, or to your point, why, why would I want to choose yet a different service? 
Yeah. So, so it's, I wouldn't say it's one or the other. I, my experiences with Azure app configuration is it's been seamless and with no hiccups, it just works. And what I do is I use the labels to differentiate if I want to use the same configuration keys from a lot of applications, uh, for example, some metadata about the website I'm hosting or whatever it is. And maybe I have 10 different websites on the same code base, but they show different things, different queries or different metadata. Then I can use labels of the app, uh, Azure app configuration service, which is built in natively. And when I pull the config value, I just say, get me config value title and use this label site one, whatever I have. And you will get the correct value pulled from this central service where you can then have someone or yourself go and manage it from the portal. Um, so that's one story, which is labels. We'll, we can talk a little bit more about labels in a bit. Uh, the other thing that kind of touches on what you just said is there's uh, features that you can have or feature management with Azure app configuration. So you can have multiple configurations. Imagine you build an API or whatever it is, and you have a new release of this API. You can turn on a new feature for that. Um, so you don't kind of mess up what you already have running. So you can have different versions as well of different config values, which is pretty cool. So in effect, if I have a slot and I push out a new version of my code to a test slot, I can have Azure app config keep track of the production value as well as the test value is that a good analogy yeah yeah that's the theory of it yeah uh, <laughs> i didn't try i didn't try that scenario specifically so i i cannot vouch for how well exactly that works okay. but that's the idea to okay. be able to do that okay yeah. and and then I, i'm guessing though that um well in your, as you mentioned in your blog post there's a the azure portal lets me modify these so i'm guessing whereas a release management if i want to change the value i got to push a new release but i'm guessing this i can just make the change at runtime right yeah, you can do that. Um, and what I do a lot as well, I'm using pipelines in, in Azure DevOps, and there's a great native support in there now for Azure CLI tasks. And you can work a lot and very well and very easily with uh, app configuration using the CLI as well. So you can add values, you can modify values, you can delete them, you can do whatever you want. Uh, pretty much what you can do in the UI, you can do from the CLI. Um, and the, the commands are growing there as well. So as we move from preview into GA at some point, this will have a, a wider set of capabilities as well. Okay, awesome. So, so I'm going to walk through your blog post just to, as the questions as they come up. So as I scroll down, you, you yeah. touched on one of my favorite topics of all time, authentication and managed identity. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's great. <laughs> and, and so is this required to run the config service? No. So... Uh, one thing that I've, I've seen recently is a shift in the mindset of developers, uh, because usually, unfortunately, I might add, uh, sometimes developers are the one taking the decision on how to implement this service or not specifically this service, but a service like the key vault. They go to Azure, they go to the portal and it says, click here to add a key vault. OK. And then it says, click here to get an access key to your key vault. OK, I will copy that to my computer. Great. And then you leave it there somewhere on your computer, which has full access to that key vault, right? And the same goes with storage accounts and, and whatever other thing that requires some kind of connection string or, or secrets. People, especially devs, they kind of just copy these values, put them in Visual Studio. Even if you have an ignore file in Git and you don't actually, you know, commit the credentials to, to any source control, you, you just copied a super sensitive piece of information onto your machine. And this has happened for a long time. Now, with managed identities, you can kind of circumvent that. So if you're a developer and you need to access this service, you can just hit F5. And instead of passing a connection string, you can tell it, hey, you know what? Use a managed identity and you will tie any identity that you create in Azure to this service. And when you launch it from Visual Studio with F5, it's going to use your Visual Studio credentials. So if you don't have access with your Visual Studio credentials to this Azure subscription, then obviously we'll get access denied, which is a good thing. Uh, but if you do have a dev subscription, which I would urge anyone to do this in uh, during development time, you just hit F5. There's no connection string. You're already connected because it's using your and native credentials of uh, whoever you sign into Visual Studio with. Now, then when you push this to production or you run this in the cloud, 
obviously you don't have any Visual Studio. I hope you don't have any Visual <laughs> Studio running in your production systems. And so then you need to assign a managed identity to this service. So then you tell it, okay, here's my Azure app configuration. I'm gonna tie it to this identity. And you can have a system managed identity or a user managed identity. And just a quick recap of the differences of that is a system managed identity, you kind of just enable that and it, um, Azure will automatically take care of creating an Azure AD principle for, um, for this app or for this service. And then you can give that whatever permission you need. So if you need it to only be able to read um, you know, settings, that's fine, then that's what you do. Whereas the life cycle of a managed identity, which is a system managed identity, kind of dies when you disconnect it. And a user managed identity is pretty much the same thing in terms of authentication, but the life cycle is different. So you can create one identity and you can give it access to your key vaults and to your Azure app configuration and to your storage account if these are the three things you wanna access. And instead of then being removed when you kill this service, this life cycle is something that you can dictate. So whenever you want to remove that identity, that's up to you. So that, that's the basic difference of system managed and user managed. Uh, I usually go now for user managed because I have multiple applications using the same identity. Um, and the reason for that is super easy for me to manage the permissions. If I need to tighten it down, I can do that in a single place. And that's just immediately having effect across all the stack. It, it, and the key part there is that it's not the developer credentials that are being used at runtime, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. And, yeah. and yeah. maybe I forgot to mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. course. It's right. And, 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 and so, the uh, information security folks at your organization can manage that identity instead of the developer, right? So, uh, good, yep. great distinction. So that's good. So, so moving on through now, there's some other terms or things in this app config that confused me. So, you touched on a little bit about labels. So, what, what does that really mean to have a label on a on a configuration entry yeah um so in in my experience and i've um so so a short backstory there is during my paternity leave um i i had four months off and you know my my daughter was so small so she slept a lot which was a great benefit for a developer because you had more time to do coding <laughs> and after explorations um so i so i spent a lot of time you know figuring different things out and i i kind of built a huge distributed network of uh, like smart or AI powered news. Uh, so I built an API, which discovers news and classifies and all this stuff. But that's a, yeah, that's a spare time side project. We can talk about it some other time. But at that point, when this service was introduced, I realized, wow, that's a great fit for what I'm doing. And what I am doing in my scenario is I have about 25 websites running in Azure. All of them are using the same code base. Right. Every single one of them have a single code base deployed, but I've used different variables or app settings for them, depending on what they should point to or what they should dis be displaying. And those variables are like API endpoints or API queries saying this site should display news about that. This site should be displaying news about this thing. And then I also have container instances running, which is kind of where the AI and machine learning exercises are being done to classify whatever happens in those. And that requires half of the pretty much 50% of the configuration values I use in all the websites are the same over here as well. I need them for my application to work, but they're the same. Um, so for the websites, I use the same code base, which means the code reads the same keys from app settings. So imagine I have my, my traditional web config or you know, traditional web configuration or app setting is uh, site title, site description, and a logo URL, for example, something very simple. Now, I want to reuse that code, and I want to reuse that exact setup across all my apps. And what I did before this service was I had to go into app number one, change the app setting. This is the logo URL, this is the thing, this is the title, this is the API endpoint, this is the search query. Okay, done. Next. Now I had to do that 25 times because that's the amount of websites I have on the same code base. Using labels uh, with the, the Azure app config service, that kind of alleviates all of that for me. So instead of saying to my uh, site number one, 
to modify those values from the Azure portal or from the CLI for each and every one website. I just say this website should be labeled site one or whatever the site is called. And the next one, site two, site three, whatever kind of labels you wanna use. So for me now, I just did that one change at one place and that's it. So now I have one single app setting, which has this uh, endpoint to my app config service, then it's using managed identities to connect to it. And I have the label. So actually that's two settings. Um, so with those two settings, I don't have to change anything else in my app settings because everything now happens from the Azure app config. So from there, I can just add new values. I can modify the values. And when I click save, the next time my website loads, it's gonna display the new values. So now I don't have to go out to all these distributed apps that I have and make modifications. I'm running the same code base. Um, I'm reading the values directly from this store instead of running them directly from app settings per web app. So that's pretty slick. Yeah. So, so I guess in this scenario, there is a there is a an app setting on the web app, for example, which is just the label, and then yep. the yep. other instead of the other things that I need are all in the app config service. I which which would imply, mm -hmm. I guess, that I don't if I change an app setting in Azure, I get a, a site recycle. So if I'm not changing those values over and over, I can minimize downtime, right? Again, that kind of take, if I'm, if I'm understanding your use of labels correctly, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it also depends on what kind of app you have, of course. Okay. Uh, I mean, if, if you have a container running and you only read config at startup of that container, and you change the values, then you're still going to have the old values until that container restarts, right? Yeah. Same okay. with the function, if it's a durable or a long time running function. Then, but if there's native supports for ASP.NET Core, for example, to say watch changes in this. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I was thinking, right? Yeah, because uh, I, I can the system or whatever it's called the the ASP.NET Core extension configuration stuff will listen mm -hmm. for changes, right? And are these changes then replicated? Yeah. Does it it listen to the app config service? Yeah. So uh, when you connect to the uh, config service, you can also say, hey, watch changes uh, over here. Nice. And when something happens, that will kind of roll out into your app okay. as well. All right. um, so I, I, I found that experience to be pretty slick uh, as well. So from my point of view, I, I manage this from a single place now. And then all my I, I have systems in place also for verifying that things are up to date. Uh, so after making that modification, you should have green flags across the board if you have some kind of DevOps routines for that. Uh, OK. And so uh, what is the this content type then? Because right? you have a you have a screenshot that has a label with a content type field at the bottom. Can you ex explain what content type means in this context? Yeah. Um, so traditionally with app settings, you had key value. Right. But what is value? You would have to know as a developer, you would have to know what is, is it a link? Is it base 64 encoded? Uh, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with whatever value comes here? With the content type on the app service you can, or app config service, you can define what content is. Is it a JSON blob or a base 64 encoded string? Is it a link or is it a, an image link? So you can kind of dictate now, depending on what kind of, content you want to, or what you want to do with whatever content you have in your app config, you can kind of dictate that with a content type. So if your code needs to base 64 decode it, you can put that as a content type. If you know that it's a logo URL, you can put that. If it's a JSON string, you can put that. So now you can tell your system and tell your code what data it is. You have key value with labels and with content types. And are those content types enforced or processed, or is it really just a label for the humans <laughs> or both? <laughs> yeah, I, it, to my experience, that's more, more for you and, and I as developers to, uh, to understand what to do with it. Um, I haven't really dug that deep okay. into it, but the way I used it is I, I flagged a couple of things saying this is base 64 because it's pretty long, pretty uh, big, uh, big chunks of config values I've put in there. Base 64 encoded, put it there. And then in the code, I just check what what is the content type I'm parsing them. Okay, it matches the base 64 content type that I have, decode back. Okay, and I can see some value, certainly if, if in the UI it tells me that this is supposed to be a URL, that I make sure it's a URL as I'm typing it in or entering it, right? So I can certainly see some value yep. there. So yet another thing we have to love about this service. Um, now the... the um, um, 
the C, you mentioned the CLI a couple times, right? So this CLI is is an Azure thing, or is this the one that we that your your buddy, our buddy Waldeck has worked on? Is this the same thing, or is this something different? No, it's a, it's a different thing. So so the CLI or, or command line interface is. In this case, what I'm talking about is the Azure CLI, which is built by Microsoft. They are pushing this out. So whenever you need to do things in your Azure subscription, you can use the Azure CLI. So I've wrote a, a lot of blog posts in the past on different things where I'm using this as well. Um, I, Since I'm on Windows, I use PowerShell together with the CLI so I can hold output in PowerShell variables. So then I can create pretty powerful commands to do whatever I want and then script it for and my, my scenarios, I can make them more reproducible. So I can run the same thing over and over in, in different scenarios. Um, so, the, so the CLI is not the one you also mentioned here, the, the one by Waldeck is the for the Office 365 PMP, which is more a uh, SharePoint and Office 365 focused command line interface. And this one I'm using is the one by Microsoft for Azure specifically. Yeah. So a big distinction there, right? I, I, I don't know how many times I've mm -hmm. started looking for the documentation and it's like, oh, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong one. So that's uh, <laughs> what we would want to make to do that. Um, and so then at the end of your blog post, you start going into the code, which is always my favorite. We start digging in here and this is the, the NuGet package, right? For the Azure app configuration. And now we touched on this quite a bit. Yep. So if I if I'm doing .NET Core stuff, is there anything new I need to learn here, or is it this pretty much the same API that just with a different backend? Yeah. Uh, so the only thing that differs is uh, from reading your normal kind of uh, config variables is how you set it up, how you wire it. So in your if you're an ASP.NET Core, then you have your startup. It's just a difference how you wire this service. So it's more about you know. Uh, there's the config uh, configuration builder dot add Azure app configuration. That's pretty much it. That's the new thing. And then in there, you can say connect with managed identity and point to your endpoint or your the URL of your app service uh, or app config service. Or you put the entire connection string in there, which I would not recommend, of course, <laughs> because we just talked about managed identities and why that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and then at this place, you can also then say if you want to uh, specify a label, for example, this app is only going to look for things in site number one or three or whatever you have. Uh, other than that, you just read it. It's an, if you use the configuration builder, you get this I configuration that you do in your normal .NET core projects. Uh, and then you do, just do config.getSection or config, here's my key. And then you just get the value and that's it. So you don't have to change the, the logic of higher tree values. The only thing is wiring the service. And then since it's using configuration builder, I could, I could, if I wanted, put a JSON file entry first, right. And then the Azure app configuration second. So that if a value, for example, as I'm iterating in development, maybe I don't want to be updating the service all the time, or I have to wait for, I have to wait for my Azure subscription to get provisioned for whatever reason, right. Is that, so it just plays nice with all the other configuration stuff. Yeah. So if, if you have, uh, the configuration builder already in place and you you use that with your traditional scenarios this is just an, an additional layer on top of that so you, you get the additional benefit off it but you can still do whatever you did before sweet that's good stuff all right so is there anything now that i missed asking about that you think is really pretty slick for folks to to use with this um yeah you know there's maybe it's not so much use with it because my only recommendation there is try it out I mean, you'll get up to speed and set up in less than 10 minutes. Super simple. My recommendation, of course, is use managed identities. Uh, if it sounds scary because it has authentication and identity in the name, <laughs> don't, don't, be, don't be thrown off by that. It's, it's actually pretty cool. Um, but there is a question that comes up, um, which I've also gotten in the blog, but also on Twitter. And, and people are asking this generally when I speak to them is, I have key vaults. Why would I want this? Or the other way around. Now that we have this with you know richer experience because I can put labels on things, then I can drop key vaults. Right? And I would not recommend dropping key vaults um, because they are designed for different things. Key vault is by definition designed for sensitive data. And there is a pretty good um, hardware backed scenario. You have the uh, hardware security modules or HSMs um, in Azure, which is backing the, the key vault. So there's like the hardware kind of encryption. You have bring your own keys 
uh, to key vaults you can encrypt with your own unique keys as well um any sensitive data you put you put them in key vault there is no exception to that you never put sensitive data connection strings and stuff like this in app settings um even though i know this is reality for a lot of people you you do that but the recommendation is of course to avoid that use key vaults and again managed identities because then traditionally and here's the kind of caveat with that traditionally you put all the secrets in key vaults right and what happened then you had to access your key vault then you put the credentials to the key vault in your app settings because you had to access <laughs> yeah. it right yeah <laughs> so, bootstrapping the security model is a, is a struggle yeah. yes exactly and then because people didn't use firewalls and they didn't lock it down with a vnet they, it was just kind of public access so if those credentials were getting out of your hands that's it you're done so managed identities with key vault helps your sensitive data stay secure. Uh, anything which is configuration that is not sensitive data can go into the app config service. Um, so, and also from Microsoft, the recommendation is sensitive data always goes in Key Vault. Um, I think even in their docs, they mention, don't use the Azure app configuration for anything that holds uh, secrets, passwords, keys, and some kind of sensitive data, just keep them out of there. Uh, it makes makes no sense to put them in the in the config. Yeah, and so I, if I remember correctly, though, uh, the the config service will then build into that configuration builder in code. But if I want to get a secret from Key Vault, that's a separate SDK, separate call you need to make, right? Yeah, 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 right. And so, which to me, I think it puts we call that the pit of success, right? Make you think if it's something sensitive or, or some type of connection string, you should be making a separate secured call for that. So, yeah. yes, good to see. And and usual, and and that's also that's a perfect, perfectly valid point. And it's good that you said that because bringing that back to managed identities, which again you should use for that scenario you have different identities for your key vaults and your Azure app config in that scenario. So you could have a subscription where more people have access to the Azure app config because you wanna hit F5 and do debugging because it's your dev subscription. But even if it's your dev subscription, you could have a key vault that contains data that some people should not have access to, like a development database or whatever it is, but maybe someone should not have access to that. Uh, then you can use also different identities to uh, kind of lock that down and control everything in your subscription using uh, role-based access control. So, which is also a good exercise for, for people to look into. So you don't, one thing I see often, unfortunately, is, is again, we have a dev subscription, give everyone just global admin and, and, you know, everyone has no issues with accessing it. And that's kind of, that's kind of the point with the uh, role-based access. You, you kind of want people to not access it everything except if they should have access to it. And, and I guess that's where the, the beauty of the CLI comes in, right? Because I can then script these creation of identities and granting access to roles and then run yeah. that script against a, a, you know, the production subscription, I guess, right? Yep, exactly. And, and, and I, that's why I mentioned before with PowerShell, you can hold variables and you can do all this powerful scripting. And so that's pretty much what I do. Uh, and when you use the CLI, it will use the account you're signed in with. So that's uh, actually uh, another good tip. You asked if I had any you know, other final kind of tips, and this is also a good tip because I've, I've seen this mentioned in a, uh, in a mailing list where someone executed commands and they didn't understand why some things disappeared in their, in their other subscription. Because when you sign in with a CLI or if you sign in with a different account in Visual Studio and you restart your command line, that switches the context of who you are signed in with. So if you execute a command now, and that command is find all Azure app configuration and delete them across your subscription, all of them will go away, right? Yeah. And if you do that in the wrong subscription, that's not gonna be you know, any happy smiling faces uh, for, for quite some time. So when you run the CLI, just ensure you sign in and set the context of whatever subscription you wanna use first. Right. And, and that's back to your point about role based access. Right. So the production subscription, Joe developer shouldn't have permission to never to change no. it and make them log no, in no. a different account. Yeah. So that's <laughs> not not a chance. So <laughs> this is all very interesting stuff. I, I can't wait to start kicking the tires on this. Of course, it's a matter of finding time. But this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, I, I, you mentioned that you don't travel as much, you know, with a family. Do you have any chance for folks to, to see you or, or at a minimum? What's your uh, Twitter or blog uh, addresses in case folks want to reach out? 
Yeah, um, yeah, good question. Um, I'm not going to any events uh, in the near time. So the, the best chance to see me is either if you're in Sweden, obviously, uh, or otherwise on Twitter, you'll find me at at Zimmergren, which is my last name. And on the web, you'll find me on Zimmergren.net. So that's my right, blog. And we'll get the, those links, obviously, in the notes as we publish them out. So thanks very much for coming on. And I look forward to syncing up at some point when you when you get out of the house, buddy. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. It's been awesome. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 